You're listening to Inward with Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Joey as he guides us through the world and major works of Kabbalah, Hasidic masters, and Jewish philosophy, shedding light on the inner life of the soul. Okay, so Be'ezras Hashem, tonight we're continuing with our series of Shirim on the inner world of trauma. And tonight we're going to be speaking about the nature of memory as it relates to trauma. And this is certainly going to be a continuation of the Shirim that we've given thus far. Number one, with regards to the subjective nature of trauma. Number two, with regards to the constitutive element within trauma that gives birth to the building that takes place afterwards. Number three, to the, the realization that, number three, to the realization that trauma is dependent in language and it affects our language, it breaks our language and the post-traumatic growth of language afterwards and our struggle to grab hold of a subjective grasp of what has happened in our lives on a general or specific basis. Number four, what we discussed last week, Bezra Sashem, was the afterwardness of our relationship with trauma, the notion of Vayihi Achareha Devaram Ha'ela, and our inability to grasp exactly what it is that has happened, whether it be a capital T level trauma or a lowercase t trauma. And tonight, what we're going to be talking about is the nature of traumatic memories or the memory of trauma. Because one of the essential factors that make human beings human beings is our capacity to utilize our, our art of memory. Memory is this miraculous tool, a gift that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given the human mind, which allows us to reinvigorate a past that is no longer present and to conjure it back up in our minds in a clear and coherent way so that the past, which is absent from the scene, is now emergent in a virtual image of sorts, in a memory image in our minds, as if we can recall, recollect, or remember the event that has taken place. Now, the nature of memory, as described in the etymological root of all three categories or all three words that describe memory is remembering, recalling, or recollecting. Now, the re involved in all of those words means that it is a reaching back into a past that is no longer present, an attempt to rejuvenate or redeem something that is now no longer present. Recollection means that we collect the parts and the pieces and the senses of that previous experience. We call them to mind, we collect them together again so that the composite parts give birth to the image of the event in our mind, at which point we recollect it or we recall it, we call it back into our minds from a past that is no longer present, or we remember it, which means we take all of the various parts and we place it back together so that the image or the mental image is clear in our mind. And through the art of memory, through the capacity of memory, both collective and individual, we have the capacity of 
redeeming the past of bringing the past which is gone and, and bringing it back into current consciousness to allow us to theoretically feel the experience again, depending on the type of memory or depending on the thickness of the memory and the focus on the memory, a person can quite literally enter into a space within their minds where it's almost as if they are back in that same place, whether it be a sensual experience rooted in smell or taste or hearing or seeing, or whether it be an emotional experience that one is remembering. The memory is so clear as a result of the miraculous nature of the mind, which contains and congeals that experience in a vault, in an archive that holds all past experiences, that when the time comes where I want to recall it, remember it, or recollect it, it comes back, it's almost summoned into the forefront of my mind, all of the various pieces merge together to present a memory image that stands in as a replacement or a simulacrum of the original experience or the original event itself. Now, the typical nature in which memory operates is very often described in the analogy or the metaphor of an image being taken by a camera, the, the art of photography, that photography on a certain level is one of the greatest metaphors that we have for understanding the mechanisms of memory. And a healthy memory is very similar to what we understand when we look at photography in a digital sense, that a digital photo of an event, a digital photo of some thing that is in front of me captures everything and all that is captured is immediately developed so that once I take that picture a split second afterwards I am able to look back at that image and I am able to conjure up the experience that has just left me that has now become part of the past there's no doubts about it there's no questions about it there's no ambiguity with regards to what has taken place in that image because the crystallized image, the digitalized image is fully representative of what the event was. My mind is operating properly, my memory device is operating properly, and there's a smooth process of taking that mental image, which then gets stored in the archive of the back of my mind. And when I want to remember or recollect or recall one of those mental images, it's almost like opening up a photo album of past events. But when I look at a picture, no matter how far out in the future I am, it could be five to 10 years afterwards, if I have a strong enough memory, that image is so crystal clear that I am capable of experiencing nearly everything about that event. And if I pay more attention and I meditate on that memory, I can begin to feel the sensual experiences of that event as well. That is when memory is operating in its healthy way. Zikaron, the healthy process of memory, is our capacity to reinvigorate a past and draw it back up into the forefront of our memory, almost in a certain aspect of the rejuvenation of the dead. The past is something that is no longer alive. The past is something that is no longer present in my life. The act of memory is an act of where my mind retraces the irreducible trace, the Roshim of that past experience, and gives birth to a newfound encounter with that experience. And in this sense, Zikaron is very often identified in Kabbalistic writings, in Hasidic writings, in Machshava, as well as psychology, as a positive positive, open, face-oriented type of experience. The Arizal tells us that Zahira, 
that memory is associated with a panim type of experience, where I have a clear face-to-face -face encounter with that which has happened in the past. It is not caught up in any confusion. It is not covered over in the clouds of disorientation, but rather it is a face-to-face -face encounter, a panim-to-panim -panim encounter. Panim, again, represents, etymologically speaking, pinimiyut, which represents the inner interiority, the essence of that experience. And when zechira is working properly, so it's taking something that has died and it's reinvigorating it with a with a chayis, with a memory that conjures up that memory in front of me. Shechicha, on the other hand, forgetfulness, is going to be the antonym to zechira. If zechira is a panim to panim type of experience, if memory and conjuring up clarified memories is a moment where I see very clearly the direct continuity between the things that have happened in the past and where I am at in the present, then shechicha is falling down into the hither side of things. It's rooted in what is referred to as achorayim, the backside of experience, in contradistinction to the panim type of experience. If a panim el panim, a face-to-face encounter with myself, with reality, with experience, is where things are clarified and revealed in and as themselves without any concealment or any confusion surrounding them. Achorayim, or a backside type of experience, is the opposite. It is where things are clouded. It is the descent into the death of that experience. I can no longer retrieve it. I can no longer identify exactly what it is that has taken place. So Zahira is going to be a face-to-face -face encounter, a, a bringing back up to the forefront of my mind, a historic encounter with reality that has taken place. And Shechicha is the descent into death. We see this explicitly when Chazal tell us that Nishkach kames men halev, that something is forgotten like a dead person from the heart, that there's an immediate identification between death and memory, that death and forgetfulness, that forgetfulness is the receding of our capacity to recall that event back into the forefront of our mind. So we find very often in the Svarim HaKadoshim, we find that zechira, memory, is associated with things that are good, and shechacha is associated with things that are bad. Memory is associated with Shabbos, where everything is about zikaron, everything is about recalling that which has taken place beyond us, and shechacha and forgetfulness is associated with the mundane week. And all of the synonyms that we typically associate with those two binary points within the spiritual structure of good and bad is going to be aligned with shechacha and with zikaron. That's the typical way that we tend to understand memory, that memory is, again, recalling something that has taken place in a clear and present way, and that by recollecting it, I bring it up into my mind as if it is a clear repetition of that which has taken place. Zahira, however, memory only operates properly when the event that is being recalled is clear and present in the recesses of my mind and my unconscious and stored properly within the archive of my photo albums from my life. And the necessary playing field in which memory can operate 
is when there is a unity or an alignment between the content of experience and the container of my mind. Like we've spoken about so often, utilizing shvira sakelim or the shattering of the vessels as the model for the emergence of trauma and our confrontation and engagement with trauma. So tikkun or rectification is when the content or the oros of experience are in line with the container or the kalim of the receiver. And when the content fits neatly within the container, there is a unity between expression and reception. And the experience, the moment moves smoothly into the recesses of my memory, and my mind is able to take that mental digital image of that experience. But as we've spoken about so often, Trauma, as the Leshem Shabbat explains it, based on the writings of the Arizal, is when there is a disjointed relationship between the content and the container. There's riboy oros and miyotakelem. There's too much light and too little of the vessel, that there's a lack of alignment. There's a disunity between that which is taking place and my capacity to understand and receive what is taking place. And this is what we described in the twofold identification of the word tohu. The word tohu we said, which is representative of the origination of trauma, that world of tohu, that world of chaos, where things are no longer in alignment. And in the name of the Bahir, in the Sefer Bahir, and Rashi brings it down in the second Pasuk in Chumash, is that tohu means two things. Tohu means it is something that is metahe ene habrios. It confounds the mind of the individual because a person is metame amashabo, that a person, when they look back at that experience of tohu, instead of having a neatly processed memory, like a digital photo, there is confusion and a confounded sense of engaging with the lack of alignment or that disjointed relationship between the content of experience and and the container of the individual who is receiving experience. And it is that confusion and that confoundedness that gives birth to what we refer to as trauma. Because trauma is an overwhelming event. It is an event that the individual is not capable of processing properly, whether it be, God forbid, a capital T trauma event or a lowercase t trauma event. The nature of trauma by definition is that it shatters in one way or another our preconceived notions as to how things were meant to go. Now, in line with my expectations and reality, in line with the things that I've come to assume or trust are going to happen, there is a unity between the content of experience and the container of experience. So that which is happening finds a very neat and clear space to register within the person to whom that thing is happening. But when there is a disjointed experience, when something sudden appears upon the scene and shatters my previous awareness of what to expect or my expectations of what is normal suddenly is shown to not be so true, or when something sudden kind of creates a sudden rift within my conception of reality, the content of the experience overwhelms the container of the person experiencing that experience because the content, the new information that is being conveyed in that traumatic episode, whether it be capital T or lowercase t, is new and it shatters the preconceived notions of what I should expect in the world. And there's no receptacle, there's no container ready to receive it. 
which is why trauma by definition needs to be something sudden. Now, suffering does not need to be something sudden. A person can become melumad biyasurin. A person can experience suffering for an extended period of time, and it no longer remains traumatic, but it does continue to remain suffering. But the definition of trauma is that it is something that is unexpected, a sudden rift or a tear in the fabric of reality, a sudden breakdown of language, a sudden abyss opens up at the heart of what I have come to expect, and it reveals very suddenly, pit om, that things are not the way that I expected them to be. The tahom, the abyss, those things that were hidden since sheshish and meberashish, that water, that inconsistency that rests underneath the consistent ground that we stand upon reveals itself and suddenly shatters our preconceived notions of what to expect. When we look at the psukim describing a human being's confrontation and prayer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to no longer be anxious in the face of that which is unexpected, but to rather develop a healthy conscious awareness of what to expect, we say, that we should not be afraid of something sudden taking place. What is it about the fear? The fear is that it's something that is going to be sudden. It's going to tear the structure, the fabric of my preconceived notions asunder to reveal to me that the very delicate and vulnerable structure structures of order that I've created in my life to allow me to function as a healthy human being or as a functional human being in a world that is very often frightening is the suddenness of it. Something sudden appears. And a remez to this is that that pasuk, al tira mi pachad pesoim, al tira mi pachad pesoim, is roshe tevos pesoim, to imply that the essential nature of that which we're terrified of or that which we're afraid of is the suddenness in which it appears. Because if I've planned for something, if I've made room for an event to take place, yes, there might be suffering. Yes, there might be difficulty. Yes, there might be an essential need to be mismodated with it to confront it and to gaze unflinchingly at it in a new type of way, but trauma it will not be because trauma by definition is something that is unexpected. And therefore, when something unexpected takes place, the content of the experience does not have a compartment within the container, within the individual to rest itself, and it exceeds the container, which is the excess of the traumatic experience. There's too much information, and the mind is not capable of processing exactly what is happening, very akin, as the psychologists and theorists of trauma describe, to what happens when an individual's body goes into shock, that the pain or the physical experience that the individual is experiencing is so overwhelming to the system that the system basically shuts down in order to protect itself. And all of the processing that takes place after the system has shut down is not necessarily going to be felt in the same way, that a person is not going to experience as much pain as they may have experienced, God forbid, if their body is in shock because the vessel that receives experience is no longer functioning properly. It has shut down in an attempt to protect itself. And the same is true when it comes to to memory. If a healthy experience where the content of reality fits within the container of my reception and experience of reality, so that's when my mind operates in a clear and digitalized way where the mental image is taken and that mental image is placed in the archive of my mind, but with a clear and very descriptive description of what has taken place. So when I recall that event, I can look at it and I can say with absolute uncertainty, ah, this is what has taken place. 
But what happens when the content of experience overrides or overwhelms the container of reality? At that point, our mind is trying to take a mental image. Our mind is trying to take a picture of that which is taking place, but the digital camera is broken because the content is not present. I don't know fully what's happening. I'm overwhelmed. My reaction is blocking me or my sudden shock is blocking me from the event that is taking place. Like we said, that the individual is somewhat removed. It's always a lag between what has happened and our awareness of what has happened. So when the digital picture to utilize this imagery or this analogy is no longer operant, what our mind does, it still needs to try and capture this content of experience. So it reaches down for its old, but faithful Polaroid camera. It no longer is going to capture the image in a digitalized way, but rather it is now going to use its secondary Bidi-Eved way of capturing experience through memory, which is going to be the Polaroid type of memory. It's going to register the event, but the difference between looking at a digitalized image versus a Polaroid image is that the digitalized image is always already fully developed when I'm looking at it. And there are no surprises when I take a look at that content of experience. I remember it, it's clear to me. But when I'm looking at a Polaroid photo, on a certain level, the picture is developing in real time, which means to say that I am not looking at an event that has been registered fully in the recesses of my consciousness and now it is clear to me that the difference between the past and the present is utterly certain. But when I remember a traumatic memory, when my mind goes back to that place, to that event, to that experience, to that feeling that did not register fully in the first time, it's almost as if the image is developing in real time in front of my eyes and the memory is no longer a memory of something from the past, but it is a memory of something that is developing in real time to the extent that the traumatic individual remembers the trauma as if a new part of the trauma is opening up and unfolding in front of them at that very moment. And because it's not a pre-recorded image, but rather an image that is developing as I look at it, by remembering the trauma, it is no longer so abundantly clear to me the distinction between past and present. Because right now the past has melted into the present. The past event has now taken on new contours and new meaning as I experience it in this very moment. And the new encounter and process of meaning also means that I'm going to experience it on a certain level as if it is happening right now. Which is why from a symptomatic perspective, whether it be a post-traumatic stress disorder type of response or a flashback of a trauma type of response, or perhaps even a repressed memory coming to the fore type of response, the memory of trauma appears to the individual as if they are back in that scenario, back in that place where they're not safe. And it elicits within the individual the chaos and the memory of those very same traumatic symptoms that they were not yet ready to process in the real time of that experience. And so what we see is a very sharp distinction between a healthy memory, which is a clear event that I can recall or recollect and look back on in a clear way, versus a traumatic memory, which is emerging in real time in my mind and creating the sense that it is happening right now, God forbid.
Now, again, to bring this back down to the lowercase t trauma level where we're placing trauma in those very important scare quotes to remember that it is a deeply subjective experience and one need not, God forbid, experience a capital T traumatic episode where in their lives or the lives of a loved one or their safety has been put into danger, God forbid, but rather any encounter with the raw psychological reality of human life where a Jew doesn't get what they want in one moment to the next, that's enough to be considered a lowercase t traumatic experience. Now, if I am reflecting, I am remembering the anger or the, the frustration that I felt when a friend or a colleague or a loved one has wronged me in some sort of way, and the processing of the information in my mind is going to be seen in a cognitive distortion and a negative all or white type of blanket sense or schematic reasoning. So when I remember the frustration that I felt when I remember, oh, nobody likes me, or nobody wants to be with me, or I'm not good enough, or there's something flawed about me, or I'm incapable of progressing, or I'm incapable of doing this correctly, when I remember that feeling, I am going to be thrown back into that mood at the very same moment. It's not going to be that, oh, in the past, somebody has made me feel bad. It's going to be right here, right now, I am made to feel bad. And so the past comes alive in a certain way, because in truth, it never happened yet. It's the memory of something that is processing itself in the very present moment. This leads obviously to the traumatic symptoms that take place after trauma, where a person feels as if the events are still happening in their lives. And it can create disorder in a person's life. It can create the fear that that pachad, that that issue is present in front of me right now. And it can create the feeling that there's no distinction between the past and the future. Uh, between the past and the present, but rather the past comes alive in this very moment. Now, the Rebbe Rashab in Hemshech Samechvav explains this in a profoundly coherent way, and I want to utilize the language to show it's not a chiddush to those who learn the tzaddikim, but it is dreadfully apparent that there is quite literally nothing that a person can find in modern psychological texts at the kernel of their ideas that has not already been discussed by the tzaddikim. But when it comes to the Rebbe Rashab, there's also a unique emphasis in that the Rebbe Rashab was interested and in fact had encounters, as we've spoken about in previous shirim, on hope about the Rebbe Rashab's encounter with what the Rebbe Rayats and the Lubavitch Rebbe referred to as Sigmund Freud, although historically it might not have been the case, nevertheless, as registered as the annals of Hasidus, it was the Rebbe Rashab's encounter with Freud. And the Rebbe Rashab, especially in Samach which was a little bit after the purported encounter with Freud, the Rebbe Rashab goes into a new understanding of pleasure and desire, which theoretically can be traced back if one wanted to do so to Freudian theory of pleasure and desire as well. And it would show a very slight but very essential distinction from what Freud was describing. But what the Rebbe Rashab writes in Hemshech Samech Vav with regards to the difference between a memory of something that has taken place in the past versus the encounter with a trauma and the breakdown of memory, the Rebbe Rashab says as follows, that we find an example to this 
when it comes to the Sar HaMashkim, when it comes to the winemaker of Mitzrayim, who forgot about Yosef. He did not remember Yosef. He did not remember him and he forgot him. So the Rebbe Rashab wants to understand what is the distinction between not remembering him and forgetting him? Seemingly, as the Zohar HaKadosh and Parshas Miketz asks, why the double language of not remembering him and forgetting him? And the answer over there, in accordance with the Ramaz or Moshe Zakuto, is that these are representative of two different forms of the negation of experience, of the Dachar and the Nukva of Klipa. And what the Rebbe Rashab writes is as follows, that... When it comes to memory, when it comes to remembering something, memory emerges from the perspective of Das. I am connected to this event. There is a connectivity, there is an embodied awareness of this event. My mind, my heart, and my body are connected to this. That I'm connected to this event and it means something to me. And at that point, the memory remains there. And we also know that what Das does is it allows for unification between the different forms of awareness in my mind. And that's what memory is. But the absence of das, the absence of connectivity, where my mind is no longer fully present within the experience that I am experiencing, as is described in the nature of hesecha das, that's the emergence of shichacha. Achzehu rak zachar, zochar hadavar mitzad he'eder. And so what the Rebbe Rashab is saying is that there's two ways of not remembering something. There's a velo zahar that he didn't even register Yosef at Tzadik. It, there was no das there. There was no hischabris. There was no connectivity to that moment so that it never even registered within the psyche of the Sarhamashkin. That because of the absence of Das, because of the overwhelming nature that the mind experiences in a moment of trauma, where Das breaks down, where my consciousness is no longer able of registering the events, it's not that there was some external reason that caused me to forget something that I originally remembered, but there was no memory to begin with. Velozachar means that the ideas of the event have never fully registered within my consciousness because of whatever reason my mind was incapable of processing that event. That that's what lozachar means. That's what a traumatic memory is. It means that I haven't even yet begun to process this or connect to it in any real way. Shichicha, on the other hand, forgetfulness, is when, yeah, I remembered the event, but I forgot about it because of some external reason. So what the Rebbe Rashab is describing in the understanding of lozachar is the he'eder of das, is the lack of connectivity, the lack of embodied awareness. I am not present in that event because the content over overwhelms the container, and therefore it's not that I've forgotten the event, it's that I have never fully processed the event itself. Rav Tzadak HaKoyen Milublin begins to offer us a little bit of insight as to how to properly grapple with this problem, how to properly grapple with the reality that there are certain events in an individual's life where I can't recall them. I can't recall them because they have never actually happened. And when I try and recall them, it's as if it's happening in the same point. 
And that what, that's what creates the symptoms, the post-traumatic stress symptoms and the experience of as if I'm encountering that thing for the first time. And that's mitzad hara, that's when the event is so overwhelming. That's when something takes place that shatters my ability to conceive of it in any healthy, thematizable way. And I'm left struggling with making room or making sense out of the event. But as we've seen in all of our trauma, Shirim, that the trauma is both the site of the breakdown, but it's also going to be the site of the breakthrough. And instead of rooting ourselves in a theory of post-traumatic stress disorder, what we're looking more at is a theory of post-traumatic growth, where the encounter with the breakdown of things at the very inception of our consciousness, because as we've seen already from the Maharal, that being born into this world is an encounter with Shechacha. Being born into this world is an encounter with forgetfulness, with a forgetfulness that emerges after something has always already left the scene. But Rav Tzadak HaKoyen Milublin and our Tzadikim are going to teach us how to transform this Nakuda, this point of the fact that there are certain events in my memory that when I try and conceive of them, when I try and look back on them, it's almost as if I am experiencing that thing for the first time because memory has not yet taken place because there was a certain element of experience that overwhelmed my container. Rav Tzadik HaKohen Meleblin in Sidka Satzadik Os Tzadites says something incredible. He says that a sign for essential tshuva, for true return from a dark encounter, is when a person no longer has any memory whatsoever of that transgression, like the Gemara in Bava Metziah, Daf Nunches, tells us, that someone should not come to a Baal Tshuva, to a repentant, and say to them, do you remember your original transgression? Not because it's a bad ethical or moral behavior, but because in truth, the true sign of a Baal Tshuva is that they have no recollection of that place in their lives. So again, we see that there's also an experience of not not being able to remember whatsoever what has taken place. Not a shikha, not a forgetfulness, but simply an incapacity to remember. And so too with regards to God, says Rav Tzadok, that Hashem ein mazkir lebal tshuva hagamor umemela ein azocher. That because God doesn't remember the event that the individual engaged in, memela, the individual doesn't remember the event. Because all of the strengths within the individual emerge from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as the Pesukim tell us, who gave a mouth, who gave a feeling heart, so too our capacity to think or to cognize or to remember, all of this is born out of the heart of the Jewish person, which is the influx of the emotions rooted in the Kaddish Baruch Hu And if Hashem is not sending down the rays of memory, reminding me, I'm not going to remember it. As it's written in the Tana de Yahu, that in the future Hashem is going to come and say to the Jewish people, Eini zocher I do not remember your transgressions, Vein Oilim Alibi, and they are not going to emerge into my heart. And we know that Sur Levavi, we know that the heart of the Jewish person is a direct encounter with the heart of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, so to speak. So what Rav Tzadok is saying is that when a person is incapable of remembering something difficult, when a person is incapable of recollecting exactly what has taken place in the past in any thematizable way, rather than looking at that as a negative symptom, rather than looking at that as a continuation of the trauma, we have the ability to look at that as a sign that we're not meant to remember exactly what has taken place, that memory was not meant to operate in a clarified way at that point. Because in Kedusha, while Zechira, while remembering is the way that we typically want to function, 
there is a level a little bit higher than Zechira, which is referred to as holy forgetting, a shichacha de kedusha, a holy forgetfulness which prevents me from recalling the event, which prevents me from rooting myself back into the past and retrieving it and recalling it, because all that exists right now is a memory of the present, which is so intense that I have forgotten everything that has happened in the past. I no longer spend time in the past. I am no longer caught up in the distinction between the past events and my present awareness of those events, but rather the past and the present have merged so powerfully that all that exists is my present awareness of something. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov says as follows in Sichos Aran, when it comes to the rest of the world, forgetfulness is considered to be a profound deficiency. But in my eyes, says Rabbi Nachman, there is a profound benefit to forgetfulness. Because if forgetfulness did not exist, the individual would not be capable of picking themselves up and doing even the slightest action in the service of God if we were to remember everything that has gone through us and that we have gone through, we would not be able to pick ourselves up for the service of God on any level whatsoever. And so too, all of the overwhelming events, all of those difficult moments in our lives would be so overwhelming to the individual that they would be incapable of moving forward. But now as a result of shichacha, as a result of the gift of holy forgetting, we forget what has taken place in the past. Now, this forgetfulness that Rabbi Nachman is describing, this holy forgetfulness, is not the forgetfulness that the Rebbe Rashab describes as something that comes along and causes me to forget that which has happened, as if my mind has processed it and then I've forgotten it. But this holy forgetfulness is that I am so focused on the present moment, I am so saturated in the here and now, that all that exists is my memory of the now. I can't look back to things that have happened in the past because I am present and I am remembering the present moment so intensely that I have forgotten everything else. What the Rebbe, what Rav Yitzhak Meyer Morgenstern refers to as the Shichacha de Kedusha that Yosef HaTzadik encounters through the Sarhamashkim, where the Pasuk says, V'yishkachehu, that V'yishkachehu, that and the Sarhamashkim forgot Yosef means that Yosef ascended to a place above memory. Yosef ascended to a place of pure presentness where the capacity of recalling things that have taken place in the past is no longer possible because all that exists right now is the present moment. And in the present moment, I have the capacity to transform my memory of the past. The capacity of remembering the present, of thinking so deeply into the present moment, of only focusing on that which is here right now in front of me, it allows me to reopen my relationship with the past and recreate the meaning of that event. This koach of tshuva, this koach of return, this koach of my ability to look back into that past event and relive it right now as if it is happening for the first time is also what gives birth to my capacity to reinterpret the events. Not to ignore the events or to repress them, God forbid, but to recreate my relationship with them, to work through the trauma, to recognize that this 
this is something that has happened. And right now I am recreating the meaning of that event, reminding myself that it is not my fault and I did not do it deliberately. And I did not want this thing to happen. And I did not want this feeling or this experience or that emotion to take place and laying it to rest, recognizing that it is dead recognizing that that past event has taken place. And right now, my memory of it is actually my initial experience of forming what that meaning means to me. Rav Cook, Slusia Ganelenu in Orisa Tshuva, says that this is the very fabric of Tshuva. The miracle of Tshuva is that I am capable of reaching back in the present moment and retrieving past events, drawing them into the present moment and reconfiguring the meaning that they play for me so that the original meaning, which was non-existent because I was not present for it, is now able to be rewritten in real time. Rav Kook says as follows, Ha'havaya, the present moment, Ha'maisa, the action of the individual, Ha'maisa ha'bechiri shal ha'adam v'ritzono ha'kavua, that the volitional activity of the individual and the desire that is the heart of that behavior are completely connected to one another. They are one long chain of events that are never disconnected from each other. The desire of the individual, the drive towards meaning of the individual is connected to the actions or to the events that have taken place to that person. Even the actions and the events that have taken place in the past are not disconnected from the essence of life and desire, which exists right here, right now in its root, because in truth, there is no separation whatsoever so I have the capacity within the hands of my desire in this present moment to impart and engrave a new form of meaning, a new context to the content of that experience in spite of the fact that it happened in the past. And this is the secret of redemption. This is the secret of repentance, of return, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has created this before the world, outside of the triadic breakdown of time, outside of that differentiation between past and present, but rather where the present contains the ability to rewrite the past because I don't even remember the past. All I remember is the present. This capacity, this nature of shechacha, this nature of shechacha at this point, which is so deeply connected to zikaron because it's a remembrance of the present that is so overwhelming that I have no access to anything else. I forget everything else because I am so safug, I am so saturated in this present moment. This is now no longer a distinction between life and death as we described memory and forgetfulness to be, as if something had previously happened and it died and now I am reviving it, but rather as the Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh describes in Keser Shem Tov, that Zikaron and Shechacha are not like the binary pair of life and death, but rather the pair of exile and redemption. That exile and redemption, unlike life and death, are part and parcel of the same experience. Life and death, there is a transition between the two of them. Death has taken place, the event is over, the event in my memory is over, and by remembering it, after forgetfulness, I revive it. So there's a difference between when the event happened and my recollection of the event. But when we're dealing with the second type of shechacha that the Rebbe Rashab describes, that loy zacher, that there was no presence in it, the das was not present there, at this point when I remember it properly or where I create the new meaning for it, it is an emergence from exile into redemption. It's part and parcel of a single 
singular sweeping experience where I now have transformed what I once perhaps thought was exilic into a moment of redemption. That this new memory, my reformation, my re-narration, my, the, the new meaning that I give to these experiences in my life that were previously meaningless is the gushpanka, is the stamp that marks their original content. So it's a memory in the present moment of the past that is in truth the first and first and only time where we have actually uncovered the latent content of this meaning. At this point, in this very subtle place where forgetfulness and memory merge together, where by forgetting the past or the future, I allow myself to remember the present moment, or by remembering the present moment so deeply, I allow myself to forget the past or the future, which is referred to as shechacha de kedusha, where I'm no longer engaged or bogged down. This is expressed very clearly in one of the famous stories from Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, that in the Maise Hayud Gimel of the Sheva HaBatlarim, which we've spoken about so often in the past, we encounter the seven enigmatic beggars the seven enigmatic tzaddikim, who each and every one of them carry a deficiency or a handicap, which is revealed at that chasana that takes place in the trauma, in the pit, dug into the mud, covered over by twigs and branches, that the chasana that takes place specifically there is where we encounter the gift giving of these seven beggars who were seemingly deficient. And the first beggar was the blind beggar. And when it comes to understanding the blind beggar, Rabbi Nachman goes into a whole beautiful narration of how I'm not really blind, except this world is so minuscule and meaningless and so quick that it doesn't even register in my mind as something that my vision should capture. That the time and the duration in which existence takes place is so speedy and so transient that my mind doesn't even want to register it. And the blind beggar says that I give you a gift that you should be as old as me, that you should live a long life just as me. And Rabbi Nachman goes into a substory describing how this blind beggar understood that he was the oldest and that he had the greatest memory. And basically in the heart of the story, there were a number of sailors, there were a number of individuals who got lost after a shipwreck and they find themselves in a tower of sorts and they find themselves getting into a discussion that each and every person would tell a story that was older or a more ancient memory than the first one. That each person would try and show their earliest memory to highlight that they remember further back into the past. And they gave the oldest person there the ability to speak first. And he says, what should I tell you? I remember when they cut the apple from the branch and nobody understood what he meant but they were wise there and they said, this must be a very, very old tale. You must be very old because you remember that far back. And the second person got up and he says, I'm even older. And even though he was younger than the old man, he says, that's an old tale. I'll tell you an even older tale because I remember when the candle was lit and they all said, wow, we don't fully understand, but that's clearly a deeper, more ancient memory than the first person. And it was a surprise to them because the one who was younger had a deeper and further back memory. And then they continued and the third person said who was even younger than the second one. And he says, you think that's something I remember even when they began to plant the fruit, even when the seed of the fruit began to rot, which gives birth to the planting of the fruit. 
And they all said, wow, this is a more ancient memory, even though he was younger. And then the fourth one who was younger than the rest, he says, you think that's something? I remember when they were bringing the seed to be planted. And the fifth one who was even younger, and he says, I remember even when the wise men were sitting there thinking about the seed. And the sixth one gets up and he says, you think that's old and I'm younger? He says, I remember the taste of the fruit prior to its entrance into the fruit itself. And the seventh one said, don't think that that's something, even though I'm younger, I remember the smell of the fruit before it entered into the fruit. The eighth one came along and said, I remember the image of the fruit prior to its entrance into the fruit. Ani, but I, said the blind beggar, I was the youngest amongst all of them. And I was also there. And I said to them, I remember all of these activities, all of these stories. But I also remember absolutely nothing. I remember absolutely nothing. Everybody else in that moment said to them, This is the oldest, this is the most ancient of the tales. Yotar mekulam, older, a further memory than all of us. And it was a surprise and a novelty in their minds that this child, this Yanika, this young infantile person was capable of remembering so far back that he remembered absolutely nothing. So we see for Rabbi Nachman, again, the Shechachad the Kedusha is not the opposite of memory, but rather it is in and of itself the deepest form of memory. that yes, we don't remember the event necessarily because we weren't capable of processing that event, but within that forgetfulness, we remember nothing and we give ourselves the ability to re-narrate that experience for ourselves. We give ourselves the ability to be metchadesh ourselves in this moment, to no longer be defined by what we think has taken place, but to define that which has taken place by what we think. And with this, we can understand the secret that the Ramchal teaches over and over, that the secret of redemption, which is the secret of memory, as he describes very clearly in Maimar HaGeula, about the different forms of memory and Zahira and Pekida, that the Ramchal writes that the deepest secret is that gladden us like the days of our affliction, meaning to say that in this present moment of Geula, we will now for the very first time understand the true content and the context of the suffering that we went through, that it's right here, right now that we remember this thing for the first time, because HaKadosh Baruch Hu has been Masalik our Zikaron from it. Hashem blesses us with the ability to forget certain things. But that forgetfulness is not the absence of memory, but it is the deepest dive imaginable into the memory of the present moment where I allow myself to rewrite my encounter, to reorient myself, to work through the event that has taken place, to acknowledge what has taken place, but to create the meaning for myself, to reorient myself to my own story, to my own Sipurimaisios. And Be'ezrus Hashem, Be'ezrus Hashem, what we're going to discuss next week is what does it mean to remember the self? What does it mean to re-narrate the traumas of our lives, the trauma of everyday lives to ourselves? Once we understand that we live in a world of trauma, once we understand that experience confounds and confuses us to the extent that we can't even recall anything, the next step is going to be understanding the inherent nature of the human being. Because when we can get over our infantile desire for a clean unity of self or a unified experience of the soul, and we open ourselves up to the the mature reality that in fact the human being is split through and through, at that point we can learn what it means to be miyachid yehudim, what it means to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu through mending the rifts of our lives, Be'ezrus Hashem.
This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Zusha. The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. 